Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. I'm Pat Cummins. I'm Josh Hazelwood. I'm Elizabeth Kowaja. I'm Mitch Marsh. I'm Darren Lehman. I'm Mitch Stark and you're listening to the Unplayable Podcast. This is the Unplayable Podcast. On this week's episode, we review England's record-breaking ODI win at the MCG, preview the upcoming match at the Gabba, and discuss the KFC BBL with World Cup winner Mike Hussey. Welcome, Mike. Jay Sam. How are you, mate? I'm doing very well. You're in a cab. You've just come back to Perth. God's country, as you call it. <laughs> That's exactly right, yes. Uh, just flew back home, so I'm enjoying some time with the family over the next couple of weeks. Or before... before. The Adelaide one day, which is my next uh, port of call. Mike, let's start with the big news that broke overnight that Ben Stokes has been charged with a fray. The breaking news article on cricket.com.au reads, Ben Stokes has been charged with a fray following September's late-night incident outside a Bristol nightclub that kept him from taking part in England's Magellan Ashes campaign. Stokes, along with Bristol men Ryan Alley and Ryan Hale, have each been charged with one count of a fray, Avon and Somerset Police confirmed on Tuesday. All three men are set to appear at Bristol Magistrates Court at a yet-to-be-confirmed date within six months. Confirming the criminal charge, a spokesperson for England's Crown Prosecution Service said the CPS was passed a file of evidence by Avon and Somerset Police on 29th of November in relation to an incident of disorder in Bristol City Centre. Further material was subsequently received in late December. Further material was subsequently received in late December. Following a review of all the available evidence, the CPS has today authorised the police to charge three men with a fray in connection with the incident. The ECB has confirmed its selection panel will now meet to make a call on Stokes' involvement with the national side. ECB is aware that Ben Stokes has been charged with a fray in relation to an incident in Bristol in September, an ECB spokesperson said in a statement. The board will now convene within 48 hours to decide on Ben Stokes' availability to represent England at this stage. A further announcement will be made in due course. Mike, what's your take on this and when do you think we'll see Stokes back in action? Yeah, well, I guess the short answer is I don't know. It's going to be very interesting to see what England does. Um, with this new information, um, and I'm sure they've pl- planned for all the different scenarios, uh, and so hopefully it won't take them too long to uh, to make a call on what, what they're going to do. It's also going to be interesting to see what happens uh, in the IPL auction. Um, yeah, will, will franchises want to take a gamble on, uh, on on someone like Ben Stokes now, who's uh, obviously um, got to face these charges, and uh, yeah, his um, future is, is quite clouded. So, uh yeah, not not ideal, certainly for, for Ben Stokes, but um, yeah, let's let's see how it plays out in the future. It's going to be very interesting to watch. To the Gillette One Day Series, where England won the first match in Melbourne by five wickets, thanks to Jason Roy's unbelievable 180 and Joe Root's unbeaten 91, as the visitors chased down Australia's eight for 304 with seven balls to spare. Mike, what a knock by Roy. His 180 is now the highest ODI score by an Englishman. What a performance. Oh, it was a phenomenal innings, really, wasn't it? Um, Considering he he played uh, a half a dozen games for the Sydney Sixers and hadn't really got a score at all, um, but they'll be scratching their heads and then wondering why they, he couldn't do it. Um, he couldn't do it for them. But um, yeah, he just got off to such a great start. You know, he got off to a bit of a flyer, was hitting the ball in the middle, and then just uh, probably rode a little bit of luck along the way. Um, but but you know, you need to make your own luck, and, and you need a little bit of luck if you're going to play a beginning. So 
Yeah, he, he was sensational. And I I don't think you can um, underrate, um, or you, you shouldn't underrate the performance of Joe Root as well, just holding that innings together in the middle and gave um, Jason Roy the freedom just to play his way. So it was a, it was a sensational innings from Roy, but also a sensational partnership from, from both Joe Root and, and Jason Roy. So, uh, yeah, they, they deserved that win. They really did. I think the Aussies probably felt like they were a few short where, where they would have liked to have been. Um, uh, England did a pretty good job in, in restricting the Aussies, particularly towards the back end when it sort of threatened that Mitch Marsh and, and Marcus Stoinis was gonna, were going to take the game really away from England. But um, it just picked up wickets at, at just at the right stages and, and the Aussies couldn't really finish off as strongly as perhaps they would have liked. And uh, so, yeah, it, it seems crazy that a score of over 300, um, it, it felt like a little bit light. Um, but yeah, that, that's the modern game, I guess. That's right, Mike. 300 is the old is the new 250, I guess, in, in one-day cricket. Uh, just on Joe Root, he's not the captain of the one-day side. Owen Morgan is the skipper of the one-day team in the T20 side. Uh, did you reckon he looked like he looked like the, the pressure was off Root? You know, he's had such a tumultuous summer out there in the Ashes, and he's been beaten four 0 and didn't get that hundred that he was after, but. You know, it kind of looked like the pressure was off. And I guess when you've got a guy like Jason Roy smashing him like he was at the other end, he could just go about his business. Well, exactly right. It was just the perfect innings for him to play. Just just had to be busy and work the ball into the gaps. He ran well between the wickets. And, yeah, when you've got someone going so aggressively at the other end, you don't feel that scoreboard pressure building. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a great partnership. It really was. And, 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 yeah, you're probably right. Maybe a little bit of pressure has been taken off him. He doesn't have to... You know, worry about all the selection meetings and, and dealing with all the media. He can just relax and just focus on his game. And 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 he played brilliantly. It was a it was a great innings. Aaron Finch, he scored his ninth one day hundred in the first innings. Uh, Mikey Finch ended the series with uh, not a lot of BBL runs behind him, a bit like Jason Roy actually. But he showed his class with his third yeah. ODI turn at the MCG. Yeah, and it looked like it really meant a lot to him. Uh, and and rightly so. It was a brilliant innings. Got Australia off to a, a flyer as well. Um, he, he just he just played good cricket shots, really. Um, and he just needed probably a couple of guys to go with him for Australia to get up to a, a you know, a really imposing total. Although just over 300 is a pretty, pretty good total as it is. But, yeah, you can see how much it meant to him. I think, one, being at the MCG, home ground. But, two, also, as you said, he's just been battling a little bit for runs so far this summer. And uh, and there was, a few, there was a few critics out there just sort of sharpening their knives a little bit for Aaron Finch and... Uh, and, and he certainly silenced them in that, in that innings. It was a, it was a, a great knock, and, and I'm sure it gave him a lot of pleasure. He's been such a consistent partner with David Warner at the top of the order for Australian one-day cricket. Mike, why do you think there are those critics out there of Aaron Finch from time to time? Well, because, because both of them play so aggressively, um, it, there's going to be times when you're just going to miss out. That, that's just the way the game goes, especially if you're being ultra-aggressive. Um, so... Yeah, if you have a couple of games or, say, a, a short run of games where you don't score consistently, then, yeah, unfortunately, the critics start coming out of the woodwork. But I just think they're both so important for Australia. At the top of the order, to get Australia off to that flying start, then there's other players like Steve Smith and, uh, and Travis Head just to, to play the Joe Root type of innings through the middle. And, and then there's some power to sort of come in towards the end when you've got um, Mitch Marsh and, and Marcus Doyner. So I, I think the balance of the team looks really good. And it, it's just important to, for everyone to remember that that's, Finch's job and Warner's job at the top of the order is to go pretty hard while, while there are fielding uh, restrictions. Now on the, on the all-rounders, Marsh and, and Stoinis, uh, a lot of question marks about how they would fit into the 11. Cam White was named 12th man, so they batted at, at 5 and 6, and they did very well. Mitchell Marsh got 50 and Marcus Stoinis got 60. Marsh got out just as the uh, the final turnover started, just so he could 
up the ante, missed out there, much like much like Aaron Finch got out at the same, a very similar time. They lost their two set bats, but then Marcus Turner scored 60 or 40 balls. Uh, we've only seen that one match, Mike, but are you confident that both Stoinis and Marsh can, can coexist in the same 11? Oh, I do, yeah. I really think they can. It just offers so much balance to, to the Aussie team. Uh, and and also, um, they're so powerful. And so having those two coming in at the back end is certainly going to strike some fear into opposition teams. And that's going to be really important, particularly looking ahead to the World Cup. Uh, I, I'm sure Mitch Marsh and Aaron Finch, for that matter, would have been really disappointed getting out at that stage really missing the happy hour, really, um, doing, doing a lot of the hard work through those middle overs. Um, you want to be there at the end to really cash in and, and, and you can really yeah, clean up uh, in those last 10 overs. So that, that was a big blow for Australia when Mitch Marsh went um, before the slog really started because he can be so damaging towards the end. Even, even if the field is a back, he's so strong and so powerful, he can clear the rope. So uh, we saw a bit of it from Marcus Thornis, which was great to see. Um, but what I think what Australia really needed was Mitch Marsh just to go a little bit longer, probably another five or, or even seven overs more would have been um, would have been great. Finch out in the series, 36th over. Mitchell Marsh out in the 38th over. Like you said, they had lots of time left and they could have put on a really a really big score. The Australian selectors have showed their hand a little bit, haven't they, Huss, by going all-out power, having, naming those two players, Stoinis and Marsh. You've got Cameron White, who's come in for Chris Lynn, who's perhaps one of the most powerful batsmen in the world. Do you think that's what they've, they're going for with an eye to the World Cup in 2019 on smaller grounds? The wickets might be a little bit flatter over there. Big scores are probably going to be on the agenda and they're going to need power players to do that. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and I guess that's the modern game, particularly with T20 um, coming in and, and taking over a fair bit as well. Um, the fans want to see some good aggressive cricket too. So, it, it you know, it's the, the successful teams, I guess, are... Uh, are playing that uh, will have have players that have a lot of power, but you, you should never neglect those those glue players, the ones that can hold the innings together through the middle. They play spin well, run well between the wickets, and and you know England have got Joe Root in that in that sort of area, which is which is really important for them. And, and then Australia's got the likes of Steve Smith and, and Travis Head, so so they're really important players. You know you, you can't just have all power players. You need to have a nice balance, I, I, I think, to have have success because there's different situations in games that you need to play slightly differently um so you know um yeah i, I think that's the way they're going to look at it for, for for the world cup in the future we'll stay with australia for a little bit longer and adam zampa none for 72 from 10 overs but skipper steve smith thought he bowled pretty well dean jones uh former australian batsman he called for him to be replaced by nathan lyon mike what do you reckon is zampa still australia's number one limited over spinner well it's it's, it's a tough one. I'm sure the selectors will be talking about it and thinking about it. Um, he's had a pretty good run over the last few years, for example, when he's played. So uh, I'm not willing to write him off just yet, that's for sure. Uh, I personally don't think he bowled too better uh, in the last match. On another day, he might have been able to pick up a couple of wickets. And, and look, when someone like Jason Roy is going like that, I don't think anyone's figures are going to look too good. So, yeah, plus, it's not easy for a spinner at the MCG. Uh, there's not a lot of spin there. And also the boundaries straight are quite short. So, um, you know, on another ground, he might have been able to get a couple of guys caught on the boundary. So, yeah, I, I still think he's got a, a role to play for Australia for sure. His figures, they're slightly misleading. You know, his first five overs, none for 21. He also had Roy LBW for 91, but uh, Roy reviewed it and it showed the ball's uh, impact was outside of stumps. So we got a reprieve and then... As, most, as so often happens in cricket, the next ball went for six and then the run started to flow <laughs> for, for Roy and for England. Um, so, yeah, a good performance. And I think 
Uh, Dean Jones was critical of him, of Zampa not bowling enough wrongers, but I thought all the variations were on display in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I thought he didn't do too badly. You know, he, he got hit around a bit just at the end when um, Roy was really starting to go a bit harder again. But I, I thought he sort of slowed the pace up early. Um, you know, England got off to that flying part and he sort of came on, and as you mentioned, his first five overs were, were pretty good. Um, changed the momentum of the game a little bit. Um, but yeah, as a spinner, it's, it's always going to be difficult, particularly... You know, um, the field restrictions through those middle overs as well, uh, it, it's it's never going to be easy. With only four out for a spinner is, is tough going. So uh, I, I thought he did okay. Um, obviously, the figures probably don't reflect that. And, and on another day, he, he might have picked up a few more wickets. Now, Mark Wood took one for 49 from his 10 overs. He got the big wicket of David Warner with a brute of a ball that leapt off a length and took the shoulder of the bat. But, Mike, I think the most interesting thing about Mark Wood's performance was his run-up. He has that sort of sprinters, long jumpers run-up where he rocks back and then takes off off a, a relatively short run-up. But at times, he was only coming out of five steps. Have you ever seen anything like that? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was a bit strange, wasn't it? He's, he's a powerful man uh, and obviously got some fast twitch fibers in there because um, yeah, he bowled with some good pace too. That, that ball that got Warner was a brute of a delivery. Um, and, and so that would have given him enormous confidence just to start his series off. I'm sure he would have been pretty nervous coming in, into the series. And to get a big wicket like Warner with a ball like that, uh, he would have been feeling 10 foot tall. And, uh, yeah, a good sign for England. Someone that's got a, a bit of searing pace is always handy to have. And the way that England not only bowled with pace through Mark Wood, but played the pace of Pat Cummins and Mitchell Stark, did you maybe think, Mike, at certain stages, like maybe this is the way they should have played the fast bowling, taking the short ball on, being extra aggressive against the quicks. Do you think maybe they should have played like that in the Ashes? Well, it's it's a totally different format of the game. It, it's difficult to, to say, oh, they should have played like that in, in the Ashes. Um, obviously, you open yourself up to criticism if you, if you play a bad shot and, and get out uh, in a test match. Uh, there's people calling for your head pretty quickly. Plus, you know, there can be different field set as well with short legs and two men back on the hook, um, which obviously you can't really do that early in a, in a one-day game. You can only really have probably one out or, or maybe a fine leg and a deep square leg is the only two you can have out, in the, certainly in the first 10 overs anyway. So, yeah, I think it's different. Plus, the pitches are generally different as well. Um, test cricket, um, there's normally a little bit more in it for the bowlers. And uh, one-day cricket, they're normally pretty flat. So, uh, pro- yeah, and, and I guess the change in mentality of English bats, just to free up and just go out there and play would have helped them a little bit. But, no, I, I don't necessarily think they should have played that in that sort of vein uh, in the test series. Onto the Gabba, there'll be no Pat Cummins for the Australians. Josh Hazelwood returns. Uh, he's been probably an underrated bowler in one-day cricket for Australia. Mike, but what makes him such an effective 50-over bowler? Not by me, he hasn't been underrated, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, he's been classed. Uh, just his line and length and discipline, uh, that's what... It, it, you know, we talk about it in test cricket, being able to do it for long periods of time, but you've got to be able to do it in one-day cricket as well. I, I feel like the bowlers that get hit around are, are the ones that don't don't have enough discipline and patience. Um, T20, perhaps, you need to mix it up a fair bit more and, and be less predictable, but 10 overs is still a long time, um, you know, for a spell, for a bowler. And, and the really good ones over the years have been been the ones that have, uh, you know, had good good discipline. Um, plus, he's so tall and he's, he's not easy to, you know, just drive on the up because um, because a lot of the balls, he, get, he gets extra bounce with the, his natural sort of delivery. So... Uh, and he's just at you all the time. You, you just make one mistake and, and you're on your way. So, yeah, he's a class bowler and has been for a few years now for Australia. Andrew Ty to boot at the MCG, none for 43 off his 10 overs. Jai Richardson is in the squad. He's uncapped. 
uh, Mike, do you expect Jaya to debut and replace the pace of Cummins? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they want to do. I'm, I'm sure they'll check the pitch out first, although generally speaking, up at the Gabba, it's an absolute belter for one-day cricket as well. Um, I thought Ty did a pretty good job. Um, pro- probably deserves to keep his spot. But yeah, as you say, if they want to replace like for like, then then maybe um, maybe the extra pace comes in. Although Hazelwood, he's certainly been bowling pretty quick this summer as well. So it'll be interesting to see what they, the selectors do. Um, but no, I... I I think that Ty probably deserves to keep his spot at this stage. Yep, all right. Now, Australia's only lost once in a decade at the Gabba in one-day cricket. That was against Sri Lanka in 2013. Mike, it's been a fortress in test cricket for the Australians for since 1988, but it's also um, a happy hunting ground in the one-day game. Why do you think that is? Uh, well, I think the conditions are so good. There's a bit of pace and bounce in the pitch, uh, which, which we as Australians, love playing on. Both our bowlers like bowling on it, but also our, um, our batsmen like that extra pace coming onto the bat as well, which other teams around the world, they're probably not as used to playing on those fast, bouncy conditions. So there's a bit of a home ground advantage there. Um, so that's probably the main thing. It's just a great place to play cricket. Uh, beautiful conditions. Um, the players love playing there. And, uh, yeah, as you said, we've had, we've had some great results, great memories. And when you keep returning to places that you've got, had good memories, um, you're already in a positive frame of mind. So at 1-0 down, how do you expect the Australians to bounce back? And, and similarly, what do you think, what are you expecting out of England? Are they going to, they're an aggressive team under Owen Morgan. Are they going to try and put the foot on the throat? Oh, I think England have got a very good one-day team. Uh, and, and Australia is in for a very, very tough series. You'd expect Australia to respond uh, and respond, you know, obviously quickly in this, in this game and, 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 and try and put in a, a great performance. Um, to try and level the series. But uh, England would have taken a lot of confidence out of that last game, um, you know, and a lot of belief, I guess, that they can not only compete, but they can beat Australia in Australian conditions in this one-day series. So uh, I guess, obviously, the big wicket is Roy. Australia need to get him cheaply. Um, he batted magnificently. Uh, and so if they can get Roy out cheaply, then that'll certainly just put a little bit more pressure on everyone else in that uh, in that English batting order. So, yeah, he's a big wicket, but... Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm backing the Aussies to bounce back in Brizzy. To finish the show off, Mike, we're going to have a quick look at the KFC BBL. Firstly, by taking a glance at the ladder. And in first place, per Scorchers, eight matches, six wins, and just the two losses to be at the top uh, on 12 points. Followed by the Adelaide Strikers and Hobart Hurricanes. They've both played seven games with five wins. The Melbourne Renegades are in fourth spot, seven matches, four wins followed by the Heat, Thunder, Sixers and Stars. Mike, we're only a dozen games or so out from the finish of the tournament. Uh, top four, they go through and play the semifinals and then the final. Do you see much of a change there in that top four now with a couple of rounds left? Well, we're still you never know. You know, It always gets really tight at the end. I think the run rate, uh, net run rate is going to be important coming into the back end. Um, you, you get the feeling that some teams seem to be just getting a little bit stronger. Uh, uh, certainly with international selections uh, at the back end, we, you know, we've often seen it with stars in the past. They've, they've um, lost key players just at the, right at the back end of the tournament. I feel like Hobart Hurricanes are a team that they haven't lost anyone. And they've just got some seriously good momentum going. They're getting better and better every game and, and winning five games on the trot. is well, That's a sensational effort. So they're certainly a, a team to really watch. I think the strikers still look pretty good, although they've lost Travis Head, and that's a big loss in their batting order and certainly puts a lot more pressure on, on all their other players. The Scorchers, well, they're just a phenomenon, really. They're, they're, they're still the team to beat. 
um, so much depth. But they've lost players, but they still, you know, continue to find a way to win games. And um, yeah, so they're, they're the favourites in my eyes. But I, I think I think the Hurricanes are a, a a team to really watch as well. Looking at the Renegades, you know, losing Finch and Cameron White is a massive loss, you know, for, for, from their point of view. And then obviously with Lynn being out for the Heat, that sort of damages their chances as well. So just the teams that can stay healthy and um, and also keep all their players together uh, are the teams to watch. Now we talked about Hurricanes. Now Mike, Darcy short, 465 runs, 77.5 this season. 122 not out, that's the highest score in BBL cricket. 350s to go with that. He's already got the records for the most runs in the BBL season with two games, or well, three games to go uh, at least. Uh, how do you sum up what he's done this summer, Mike? Oh, he's been phenomenal, hasn't he? He's just so clear in his role and, and how he wants to play, but he's just so still at the crease and so powerful. Uh, and so he's been yeah, absolutely incredible to watch. Such a key part of that Hurricanes uh, uh, winning run. Um, and it's been unbelievable to watch. Even seeing tweets from you know guys like David Warner and Glenn Maxwell come through, say, "Wow, how good is this?" Um, for, for guys like them to be tweeting through, it's, it's pretty impressive. So, yeah, he's been awesome to watch, and um, yeah, and, and 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 hugely important to that team. But, but they've got some other pretty good contributors as well, so it makes them pretty dangerous. How much trouble will the Hurricanes be in if they lose short to national duties? Should they make the finals? Well, that's going to hurt them um, big time. Because uh, the thing is, he's been so aggressive and, and scored so quickly, but he's also been so consistent. He's hardly missed out in a game. Um, and and that's, that's incredible in itself. Because generally speaking, when you've got such aggressive players, you, you'd expect them to miss out you know, a few games along the way. But his consistency has been amazing. Certainly has. Uh, Mike, your Thunder, 3-5 and five and 6 spot. Season's not over just yet. They suffered a gut-wrenching loss on the weekend. Um, a, a final ball thriller to their arch-rivals, the Sydney Sixers at the SCG. Um, with a couple of games left, Mike, um, you haven't given up hope just yet? Oh, there's still a mathematical chance, so I'm not giving up <laughs> hope just yet, that's for sure. Uh, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was heartbreaking, really, that last one against the Sixers. Although, looking at it, the Sixers probably should have won a bit more comfortably than what they did. You know, taking it down to the last over, and I thought Chris Green bowled a really good last over. He batted well too. So uh, there's, there's some real positives to come out of the game, but, um, yeah, we need to find a way to, to get over the line, uh, certainly in the last two games, and then hope some other results go our way. So we're keeping the faith at this stage. What have been the positives for the Thunder this summer, Mike? I think some of the big positives have been, um, well, Chris Green, uh, he, he's played really well again for us. Uh, Arjun there, the emergence of him as, as, as a as a quality spinner throughout those middle overs. Farwad Ahmed's been sensational as well. Um, so so they're probably the, the main things that stand out. I think Rukin Sandu has shown a bit this year as well, which has been really good because he's been through a tough couple of years. So there's some exciting... I guess some exciting youngsters that um, are, are, are really coming through and, and, yeah, it gives us a bit of hope for the future. And just one on the Perth Scorchers. I know they've lost a lot of uh, a lot of players through injury, in, in international duty. I mean, their fast bowling stocks is just so deep there. It's amazing over there in the West. But Mitchell Johnson, he looks reborn. I've never seen him bowl better. Mike, surely, <laughs> surely if the Australian selectors come up and call him, Tap him on the shoulder and ask him to play in the T20 series at the end of the at the end of the summer. He'll answer their call, won't he? Oh well, the, the selectors could do a lot worse. Yeah, he's been incredible again. Just you know, with that new ball, as you said, his pace is up. You know, it's, it's probably as quick as what he was bowling at certain stages throughout his international career, and it looks like he's just really enjoying it, swinging that new ball and picking up wickets regularly. Um, 
yeah, he'd be a great acquisition for Australia. Whether they go down that path or not remains to be seen. Um, but, yeah, as I said, you could do a lot worse than pick, uh, pick Mitchell Johnson. Mike, thank <laughs> you very much for being on this episode and we'll uh, speak to you again next week. Good on you, Sam. Have a good, have a good night, mate. That's it for this week's episode. We'll be back next week. But until then, stay connected to cricket.com.au for all your latest cricket news, scores and video. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.